Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with Clear Motive Marketing. Full transparency, folks. I am one of the co-founders of Clear Motive Marketing. I have had the privilege and the amazing opportunity to be involved with my current business partner, Chad Kroger, since 2010. And it has been a fantastic ride and just an amazing, amazing journey. But I'm coming here today not as a co-founder, but as a client. Over a year ago, I brought the idea of the podcast to the team, presented the challenges, presented the opportunity, presented why I was excited about it, and they worked with me to create a plan. We built a strategy, we built the brand, we built the website, and they helped me execute, and they helped me execute day in and day out as we are constantly going live with, with new, new episodes. They also were a huge help in building the audience, which can be the most challenging things, whether you're a company, with a product or a service, or just a new idea that you need to get out there. So we've grown organically from over 200 downloads last December to over 2,000 this December, which is an all-time record for the show, something we're really proud of, and I couldn't have done it without the ClearMotive team backing me at every step of the way. They specialize in helping brands that operate in fast-paced, highly competitive industries, which, let's be honest, is, is everyone these days, to deliver more consistently and more effectively day in and day out, something that we all know can be an incredible challenge in marketing with the pace of the always-on mindset. With offices and teams in both Calgary and Toronto, they work to make clients better marketers. So if you need a new website, a new brand, or simply a new efficient way to produce and deliver and get your get your creative and market, and get connected with your customers, give us a call and let's have a good old-fashioned chat. Check out our work and our case studies at www.clearmotive.ca. A warm collisions like YYC. Welcome to Miss Deborah Karash. How are you, Deborah? I'm good. How are you? I am good. Thanks so much for coming on the show. And we've been bantering uh, as we do, and I often forget to push record. So before we run out of things to talk about, let's get into it. You are a professor at the University of Calgary, and you're also CEO and CSO at Path Therapeutics. So I'm going to give it to you. We're in the elevator. Give us a little bit of uh, who's who's Deborah and what uh, what's your world look like? Yes. Well, thank you very much for having me today. So as you said, I'm a professor at the university. So, uh, you know, I initially identify myself as, as an academic. I do research. Um, I actually do very little teaching. I'm more on the, the research side, um, which gives me a lot of flexibility to follow interesting questions and to, to take my lab in directions um, that, I, that I choose. In the lab, we developed a technology that it, it's a platform technology. It enables us to um, identify new druggable targets um, in the neuroscience space. And so the, the idea behind this is can we kickstart stalled neuroscience uh, research programs, uh, drug discovery programs? In, in some fields of neuroscience, it relies heavily on understanding the biological mechanism of the disease. And then you would try to fix that biological mechanism with a drug or a, bio, a biological, like an antibody. Um, and then you can then help um, with symptoms or cure the disease, perhaps. In some cases, we don't know what the under bio underlying biology might be. And so then how do we know where to target our drugs? And so we've created a technology that is bi pathway, biology pathway agnostic. We basically don't care what the biology says. We have a readout that tells us when the disease state is improving. And so that enables us to find um, druggable targets that might be underappreciated or um, completely novel. We can design drugs against those targets, and then hopefully we can start to make an impact on treating neurological diseases. Okay, let me uh, let me unpack a little bit of what you, what you just shared. I'm going to go all the way back to the beginning. You said it allows me to choose to follow interesting questions. I just I love that concept. It's kind of like you know fall in love with the problem and some of those those things. So in terms of the lab environment, and maybe this is for my audience that isn't familiar with how it works and in a university setting, uh, I guess how how do you choose which are those problems you find the most interesting, and then how is that funded? Because everything I know about the world of drug development is it's incredibly costly, it's incredibly time intensive. Sounds like you're finding. Ways ways to streamline that to maybe get to results or to know when you're going down the wrong path sooner, maybe before yeah. you even get on the right path. How does it even start at the beginning? Because this will tie into the impact of the biotech in Calgary and what that looks like in Western Canada. But how do you guys even like, take us back to the beginning? Where does that journey start? And how does it get funded in a way that kind of makes sense that you're constantly able to innovate? Yeah, you know, I think that um, when people think of the classic professor, I think they think of the professor they had in Economics 101 or <laughs> Psychology 101, right? There's some male or female sitting at the top of this very large lecture hall who has prepared a PowerPoint presentation of sorts, or, you know, if you're old enough, it was overheads um, that you would, <laughs> I mean, the, hypothetically. The, the, one, the ones you can write on with the, yes. with the clear through? Yes, I think yes. Anyway, my, some of our audience is like, what are they talking about? It's two old people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What, what? I don't understand. Um <laughs> 
And, and, you know, and it's a lecture format and you're share, the, the professor shares knowledge and, and teaches. Um, but there's a whole mechanism of the university around research and development. And so a lot of professors, while they do teach, almost all of them do research. That's a fundamental core um, priority of a, of, a, of a university. But some of them, like me, spend most of our time doing research. So I actually do very little teaching. Um, and so that enables me to de develop program. And my contribution to the university is on my research arm. And so if I'm not very good at my research, then I have a problem keeping my job because, um, you know, why do they keep me around? Um, so, you know, re research in the academic setting is funded by grants. We write grants to CIHR. We write grants to NSERC. We write grants to private foundations, um, individual calls. And so a lot of the work, like if we can get it funded, we can do the science. It suggests that our peers think that the science is interesting enough to to at 10% or 15% funding levels when only, you know, a handful of grants are being funded, that this is the winner that we think um, is going to have impact and we want to fund. So that's kind of the first call. I, I can't really do whatever I want without um, some sort of funding. And so I have to be able to convince okay. others that it's important. So you, so I can come up with ideas. I can write grants on them. I can, you know, convince my graduate students and postdocs that this that I'm not crazy and that this is a really good idea, and I'm not going to take their career into the toilet with it. That it's, uh, you know, going <laughs> to become something. So like once I cross that hurdle, um, and then I get funding for it, then I can do it. But the question is, especially since we're going to mostly focus on the commercialization path. As it starts to look like it might be a commercialization project, then how do you get the funding, right? Okay. So you have grants to get it started, and you can get pretty far on grants. And so you can get millions of dollars, you know, two, three million dollars if you're quite good at it to get it funded. At some point, those grants, that mechanism is no longer available to you for reasons we can explore if you want or you can take my word for it. But anyway, at some point, you can't apply grants anymore. Okay. And then on the, on the other end, you have maybe um, venture capital or institutional funding that then um, likes your idea and wants to run with it. But there's this large gap in between those two. Mm -hmm. And so how okay. do you get that funding? That's the valley of death they talk a lot about in, you know, in the tech industry. Yeah, so um, I was like, that sounds know. very consistent with a lot of people I've had on the show. It's like even the yeah. province does really well to incentivize our creativity and our ideas, but then all of a sudden when it comes to getting that first customer, there's the valley of death. And I've had a few people come on and, and say that yeah. with, a real, with a real guttural because they were in it at the time when they were telling me about it. Yes. Yeah, it continues to be a problem. And I think this is, you know, there's an there's a enormous interest in biotech in Calgary. Um, and there are some project programs in place. You know, University of Calgary started the U-Seed Fund, um, and that's in, you know, child health and in social impact pro type projects right now. But I think their plan is to expand it. You know, programs like that help fill that gap, but it's okay. not nearly enough money. I mean, the, in the biotech world, it's an expensive business, right? We have to pay right. scientists' salaries. We have to pay mice costs. We have to pay for reagents. Um, a lot of experiments fail, so you have to do things multiple times. Um, and so there's a there's a, a large monthly burn rate. And so a hundred thousand dollars here and there, uh, you know, that's a few months. That's four months or five months on, on okay. my burn rate. And so you know, we need access to a million dollars in the gap, not a million dollars once we get to the VC level, then you need, you know, several million dollars. But, and I think this is a, a problem, not just in Calgary. I mean, this is a problem everywhere. Okay. I, I, I was going to ask what the difference was between here and other markets. Cause I'm assuming you have lots of associates and, and people, you know, yeah. that probably work all across North America or probably globally. Yeah, I do think, uh, you know, that, so recognizing that gap is, is well, um, well known. So this is a, mm -hmm. you know, some epiphany I've had all on my own. But I do think that something that's different about Calgary is that biotech is relatively new. Um, okay. it, you know, it's an oil and gas town historically. Um, there's a good tech sector um, in Calgary and it's growing. But biotech, depending on, you know, how you define it, and maybe I, I can do that in a second, the, there's not the angel pool um, in the hardcore biotech. There's some crossovers from tech okay. um, and there are some, um, uh, there are angels available but, you know, that's kind of your fast money, right? That's how you kind of seed your projects. You get angels excited and they become a catalyst and they take you, you know, from the lab or where grants end and they fill that very important gap until you're ready for more institutional funding. And so I do think that um, Calgary in particular, because it's a, a young environment, you know, that angel group isn't as solidified or as organized yet. Um, and, and, you know, just to revisit the something that I think is helpful when you think about biotech companies 
is that, you know, biotechnology is the use of biology, right? To solve problems, make um, useful products is what biotech is. There's actually several sectors of biotech. There's the most commonly associated um, therapeutics. Therapeutics is divided into small molecule therapeutics, which is like a pill, like, you know, Prozac, or it can be large molecule therapeutics, which is like, <coughs> excuse me, an antibody or some sort of biologic um, molecule, which is big. The difference between small molecule therapeutics and, and large molecule therapeutics is quite significant. How you fund those is big. And that's okay. just one sector. So you have therapeutics, you have devices, which are, you know, catheters and stints and, and um, brain stimulation tools. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of category of devices in the medical bio, biotech space. There's diagnostics. How do you um, develop, how do you diagnose um, breast cancer or diabetes. And so there's always constant new approaches and tools for diagnosis. There's digital health or sometimes called tech, uh, digital uh, health tech. And so those are all of your digital platforms, digital records, all the apps that we use to track our fitness levels. Um, you know, anything that's, that's digital and related to your health falls under that. And then there's, you know, the R and D around tool development. How can we develop tools that help each one of these? Each one of these is a whole world in and of itself. And I think because we have a, a relatively young in, um, investor pool in Calgary, mm -hmm. they see it all together. They say, well, I've invested in biotech. Well, you invested in a device and the device has a product and that product is going to generate revenue at some point and you're going to have, you know, slides and you're going to assess this company based on revenue or, um, you know, some sort of exit. Maybe it's going to get bought. I don't know. But you're gonna. But how you evaluate my company is going to be quite different. I'm not going to have a revenue slide. I will never have a revenue slide in my deck. And so I get asked fairly frequently, um, you know, and, and when I'm local, like, where's your revenue slide? Your deck is wrong. Well, well, that just tells me that we're kind of having a mismatch conversation here, um, because there's no revenue in the small molecule therapeutics game. Sure, there is way down the line, but the company would have been either bought well before then or folded because we went bankrupt. Um, you know, that's not usually a strategy to develop a biotech company that then markets a drug as a revenue stream. It usually licenses to one of the main pharmaceutical companies, and they have the so, staff and the sales, and they. So, so curious that. in that model, what is the what is the incentive for people to come in to bring in funding at the table? Like the device, I love how you broke it down because even digital health, I would have put that in more a tech category than biotech, just for the for my mm -hmm. own mindset. So, what is the what is the appeal to the investor at that point when you're talking about a model where we don't have a revenue slide? That's not how this part of what we do works. It's an acquisition basically. So okay. most companies like mine, um, they, you know, sometimes I say like more locally when I'm talking to investors, like I'm going to give you 10 X or I'm going to give you zero, right? Like it's okay. not really an in-between. It's either going to be a good return because we got acquired and you came in early and your stairs, your shares are valuable at that okay. acquisition. Um, or, or we're not going to make it. And <laughs> so that's, I think also part of the, the challenge is that it's a risky venture. 95% of drugs in the neuroscience space fail. I was going to ask what the number was. I knew it was high. I didn't know it was that high. Is yeah. there any, do, do, do we have any stories? Like, do we have any, because part of the show is also exposing people to success stories or mm -hmm. opportunities or even areas of interest that they just don't get on their radar. Do we have some Calgary success stories that in your mind haven't been talked about and should be? Yeah, I think Calgary certainly has success stories. Um, you know, I think that, you know, something that I, I know closely is Parvis. Um, Parvis Therapeutics is a University of Calgary company mm -hmm. um, started by Pierre Santamaria here at Calgary. And he did a licensing deal with Genentech worth a, a billion dollars. So, you know, that's that's nothing shabby. Um, no, and but so again, I don't, that, that doesn't get a lot. I don't, I've, I've, again, not that I've heard of everything, but I've not heard of that. Yeah. <laughs> and a yeah. billion dollars is certainly newsworthy in my world. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I mean, that gets me out of bed in the morning. I don't know about you, but <laughs> it, does, yeah. it crosses yeah, yeah. that threshold. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think that, um, you know, he developed some technology. He put a team around him. He has, um, you know, a good management leadership team. I think he's chief scientific officer now. And yeah, they got in Genentech's, you know, one of the best. So um, you know, I think that's a success success story. There's Oncolytics, uh, uh, Logic. I don't know exactly. They're in clinical trials. I don't know that much about their programs. Okay. Um, but there are biotech companies in the therapeutic space. There's, um, you know, uh, Sinantra is a diagnostic company. I know their founder quite well. Um, you know, she's doing excellent work there. Norora is a, another company. 
Um, they have more of a, a device on measuring brain activity. Um, you know, they're a startup doing well. I think that there are certain companies, um, a certain uh, critical mass is starting to form in Calgary around the biotech space. Um, and, you know, we need this, I hate to use the word ecosystem, but, you know, it is the best descriptor. We need this ecosystem because as, as everybody gets more successful, we have more talent available. The angel pool becomes bigger. It's what, you know, I think one of the ways that we help the angel pool is over just time, like social knowledge, right? A general understanding like, oh, I'm going to talk to Deborah Karash. She is a small molecule therapeutics company. I'm going to expect a pitch deck that looks like this, right? right. So Edu- some just yeah. general knowledge of what they're going to see when they come in the door. Um, I am more aware of that I need to start, you know, f- several steps back now and, and explain what I just explained to you. I'm going to be talking to you about a platform, you know, small molecule space. This is not going to be a diagnostics pitch or, you know, just to kind of set the, the, the floor. But as more of these companies start to exit and they become independently wealthy, they become an angel pool. And, that and, and now you've got a really educated, now you've got someone who's been in the, in yeah. the industry, which is where we're such early days in that cycle. Yes. If you look back, that's why the oil and gas cycle works so well. Cause that happened mm-hmm. over and over and over. It became a playbook of like, you know, rinse and repeat every three to four years. And unfortunately that, you know, those yeah. pages got torn out of the book. <laughs> yeah. I've had a few oil and gas CEOs on. They're like, you know, and they'd come back to redo companies. They're like, we had a playbook. We know how it worked. We're winging yeah. it now. Like it's an, it's, it's a new world. And you know, it's mm-hmm. easy to feel like you've been, um, uh, defrauded in some way because you're like, what do you like? What it worked a certain way. And I've talked to so many people in the tech ecosystem more so. Uh, again, not to use that buzzword, but that's what they said. They're like the conversation. You have to do so much more education because they're used to a completely different investment model, which drives yeah. a lot of companies in Calgary to have to look outside of this market, whether Canada or mainly into the U.S. for that funding. Is that the same thing with biotech? Like when you're having conversations yeah. with investors, do you quickly exit our borders and and look? You know, I would say is south of the border probably a better candidate because you've just got more people that are that are educated on it already? Yeah, you know, I think one of the, the challenges is that as I was learning to, um, as I was exiting the university, which is a safe little bubble, right, and going out into the big bad world of commercialization relatively on my own. I mean, there's lots of programs in place to help you. There's Innovate Calgary and Hunter Hub. And, you know, I think people coming behind me have a few more programs, but even, you know, through no fault of their own, their best efforts still, you're going out into the big unknown. I made a lot of mistakes in Calgary because I was new at it myself and I didn't understand what level of education. I didn't understand why the conversations weren't very productive. And so, of course, I thought, well, maybe my deck's not there, which I'm sure was certainly part of it. Um, no question. But it's also, um, you know, why is this not connecting? I'm seeing I'm getting beat around a fair bit. And then I leave and I go elsewhere where I don't have to understand. I don't have the they just understand who they're talking to right out of the bat and the conversations go a little bit better. So for many, many years, I did no fundraising in Calgary whatsoever, um, in part because I couldn't figure it out. Um, and I did come back around and I started to do more fundraising in Calgary, um, you know, over the last year. Um, and you know, I've since left again, to be honest with you. And this is with my knowledge being a little bit better. Um, I think that the Calgary, um, you know, it's a little bit tribal, I think you're on the inside loop or you're, or you're not. I think it goes oh, back. Interesting. Um, I, I, it goes back, I think to the oil and gas. Um, I've been told that, you know, back in the day it was, how do you identify? Are you in the Petro club? Are you in the ranchman's? Are you in the Bow Valley club? You know, kind of what pillar are you in? And then, then from there I can decide how we're going to communicate. And, and I think that there's still that culture of, and, it, and I think that it's it's talked about a fair amount that um, it's great in Calgary um, because everybody knows everybody. And mm-hmm. it's a great opportunity to raise because you don't have to, like, know everybody. You have to know one guy or one gal, and then they're going to go tell everybody. Well, that's a great model if the one person who knows you believes in you. And, un- they, and, un- and understands your industry, for starters. <laughs> and if they don't, then that model starts to have some problems because now you're on the outside of the group trying to say, hey, I think that you should pay attention. And I'm not, I'm by no means blaming Calgary on this. I, I made plenty of mistakes myself along the way. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, it took me a while to, to come to the conclusion that, you know, Calgary doesn't, I need to find people who believe and who want to support and are, um, you know, ready to get on the, on the ride because it's going to be quite a ride. And I haven't quite found my people in Calgary yet. And I don't, it doesn't mean that they're not there. Um, but it's it's how do I find these people that are willing to to come on board? And so I have much better luck when I leave Calgary. And I think that's that's um, 
it's confusing to me. I'm a homegrown um, biotech. I'm in a, uh, a province where they want, you know, that is looking to diversify. And, you know, something I think uh, about Calgary that is particularly seen, and I tell this to people in Calgary um, when I have the opportunity um, to talk about you know, biotech space, is that I've never pitched in Calgary from top to bottom. I have never shown up in my business suit with my laptop and my deck and started at slide one and ended at slide 10. And of course, in the era of COVID, I haven't done this over Zoom. <laughs> I have never, ever shown my deck from top to bottom in Calgary. And yet I've had lots of conversations. I always bring up my deck and, and I say, you know, let me go ahead and just kind of walk you through where we're at. We've had some progress. And they say, no, 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 no. There's no need. I talked to Bob. Bob told me that's, about you. That's I, I know everything. And it's like, well, no offense, but I don't know that I want Bob representing. Like God knows what Bob's <laughs> telling me, right? Like I'm sure Bob's <laughs> trying to say nice things, but it's, you know, so I also think that's where this, this tribal mentality, it, it would be helpful, I think, if they would let you know, everybody just kind of start pitching a little bit, rely a little bit less on the network, rely a little bit more on um, what do I like about this deck? What do I not? What do I not like? Um, I think that would be that would probably go a long way. Well, by thinking you know the answers, you also you you remove your own opportunity to learn, right? That's a risky proposition. Like, mm -hmm. no, no, I've got it. Do you do you, do you got it? <laughs> That's yeah. interesting. So when you go and when you go uh, out, when you leave Calgary, is it east, west, or is it south? Like, where where do you go? I'm just curious, curious about that. Is there a place that like is there a city, a town, or jurisdiction, or a group where this is more prevalent? Like, oh, we think tech, everyone thinks Silicon Valley, easily instant thought. From a biotech perspective, is there a jurisdiction or an area or a state where it just plays better? So in Canada, the big centers are Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal. Okay. Um, so not those surprising. are yeah. In the states, um, the big ones are San Francisco, Boston. Um, but that's okay. not to say there's not San Diego, Seattle, Manhattan. Um, you know, there's Research Triangle. There are places in the U.S. Um, there's Asian money um, that you know Shanghai and Singapore and um, you know uh, ventures down in that direction. Um, and then there's, of course, European funds. I don't spend a lot of time in the European funds. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know that market very well. I spend a lot of time in the North American market. And I do um, also um, you know, talk with some Chinese funds as well. The Chinese funds are, are interesting because they're partnering with North American. Um, and so, you know, whereas before I think they used to be more, more Chinese focused, yeah. um, you'll see a lot more partnerships with North American and, and some you know, different funds down in China or, or Singapore as well. Interesting. And when you look at those communities, like, you know, there's lots of books on like the, 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 the dynamics of what makes a good startup community or makes a good. Mm -hmm. And is it just the fact that there's people that in those communities that either haven't been investing in these type of investments for more frequently, or they themselves have had exits. So they're very comfortable with the process. And for them, it just inherently feels less risky because they've been there. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's, I think that the startup scene, tech, biotech, oil and gas, like, I don't think it matters what sector you know, it's it's a complex system, and you need a whole um, infrastructure. You need a, a a variety of pieces in the puzzle, in the pie, or whatever analogy you want to use, right? You need your angels because they're your access to your fast money can bridge that gap. You need your VCs who have institutional money that can give you a real influx of cash to take you forward. You need a, a, a set of found, a peer set of founders, right? You need a support network to of other founders that have been there. You know, all, not only to support ourselves because you're in the valley of death most most of the time, right? And so having somebody that talks you off the ledge from time to time is helpful, but also it's a wealth of knowledge. Like, hey, who did you talk to? Yeah, my conversation didn't go well, but they said they like neuroscience. You should call them, right? Like, so some of that is, is very helpful. The talent pool, I think that our universities in Alberta, I think we punch way above our class. I think we turn out amazing students. I think the research is top notch. Um, I think what's coming out of the University of Calgary, which I know better than U of A, but I can't imagine it's any different U of A, um, I think the research is world class, um, but we and so I think the talent is there for us to um, populate our biotech companies at the at the research level, but it's not at the managerial level. So if you look at my executive uh, okay. team, yeah, I have to always leave, always, and they're almost always Americans actually. So on my executive, I have a European, I have two Americans, and I'm just bringing in somebody full time, and they are based in Boston as a you know a chief, um, you know whatever officer. The middle initial, we're still trying to just decide what it is. Um, I, I, appreciate, I, appreciate, I, pre I appreciate that. Yes, I got it. Yeah, I got it. I appreciate um, that. 
So I'm, I think, t- I'm hearing that from so many uh, companies in yeah. Calgary when they're at a little bit more maturity and they need that. I need an eight to 10 year person. Yes. And they, you know, I can get a junior full stack developer and train them up, but do I have a product engineer, a product specialist or whatever the case may be? That eight to 12 year window of experience is incredibly challenging to find here. Yeah. If you, as soon as you move outside the realm of our traditional sectors. Yes. So I think, so you know, same, bringing, same, same, rea- same, same reality for you. Yeah. Guys. And bringing that talent in, I think would be quite helpful because having somebody at the helm who's done this before, it helps your company move much faster. And I think there's a lot of people, um, you know, there's these different, you know, the, just to finish the list, list, I think is infra- infrastructure and then social knowledge. And so we've talked about okay. social knowledge already, but in the infrastructure, I think the university is trying hard to, to fill this gap. You know, Innovate Calgary has the life science research hub where incubator mm-hmm. companies can move. Um, I know there's a movement to do a research park for other companies, biotech companies that need um, more space than what the life science hub can do. So they would be okay. um, in complement programs. Um, you know, there's a lot of infrastructure coming out of the Hunter hub, coming out of Hoskane, coming out of like Hotchkiss Brain Institute is trying to put different infrastructure in place. Um, and so I think that the int- infrastructure piece is, is, is coming together. Um, but I think that, um, that trying to get the, Trying to move, sorry, I completely lost my thought, but I, I think just to, to kind of wrap, <laughs> I got busy in my own list. Um, but I think that, you know, kind of bring it together. It's a complex ecosystem, which is why that word, you know, does apply. And I think that we're, we're short a little bit on the angels, on the VCs, and on the talent. And I think that's just going to require a maturation of the system, all the, the work that everybody is putting into place um, from the city of Calgary, from the University of Calgary, from all the the funds, there's new life science funds that are trying to bring money to the sector. I think they're all trying very, very hard. I give them a lot of credit and collectively this will eventually pay off. Well, like you said, we are, you started off by saying we're very early in our cycle. So all mm-hmm. of these things, I think if you're talking to somebody in tech, they're going to almost list off the same, the same series of problems. But I've also, I've heard that our, at a junior talent level or basically what the university is creating, that we actually have a really strong talent pool there. But what I'm hearing for you is the same what I'm hearing from so many, that eight to 10 year person, whatever role they're in yeah. or more is almost impossible to find here. Mm-hmm. Have you, for, I guess, pre-COVID, post-COVID, have you had any luck or have you even tried to bring people here or is that really even not an issue? They don't need to be here to support you they can be anywhere um i have i asked the question if they're interested in moving when i interview um i've been busy interviewing for a ceo replacement for a while it's going to take a while i think to find that right person i asked the question the answer is almost always no um you know finding these people they're not exactly sitting around saying gee whiz i wish i could sell my house and move somewhere Um, kids kids in schools and wives and families and husbands and the whole thing yeah (laughs) yep so um you know, I, I think if I were to, to re- have it be a requirement that somebody moved to Calgary, I don't think I'd ever find anybody. Um, so I think that COVID has shown us how well we can do remote. I also think we're starting to see maybe some of the downsides of all this remote, yeah, right? Yes, so I think that, you know, there was this euphoric high that, hey, we can do a lot of things remote. Now I think we're starting to be like, oh, but there's consequences. Um so I think that, you know, we can learn from the COVID time on how we, you know, do virtual. There's a lot of virtual biotech companies. Calgary has some virtual biotech companies where, okay. you know, the CEO is here or it was founded here. And then the chief scientific is, you know, in the U.S. And then the R&D is done, you know, you know, you get the point. I'm sure it happens across many companies. Um, yeah, and I think from an access from an access to talent perspective, ultimately, you're right. Yeah. There are some casualties, even in our small, you know, thirty person team. All of a sudden, the people that are really good at reaching out are okay, but the people that aren't, all of a sudden, get super isolated really quickly. Mm-hmm. Like it's so yeah. much about personality, and you can force people into Zoom meetings, but it's, it's, it is not the same as the random like, "Hey, how was your weekend?" At, in the yeah. kitchen, I very seldom book a, a Zoom meeting to ask someone how their weekend was, which maybe yeah. I should uh, as a leader, mm-hmm. but that's a that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. But from your perspective, you're looking for talent, and you're you wouldn't be able to grow because the talent isn't here it's amazing that you can go out and get these, this remote talent to come in or else you'd kind of be dead in the water, right? Yeah. But I do think, you know, kind of what you're circling here is does the company stay? Right. Mm. And I think that's a, and (laughs) I mean, it's to be determined and it's obviously we have to do what's best by our companies. Um, Mm -hmm. So the guy that I'm bringing on full time, he's in Boston and um, you know, a Boston address helps me a lot more than a Calgary address. If we're going to speak Uh, frankly. Um, Please let's, let's, shall we? (laughs) Yes. If you don't want to dance around it. Um, No, Deborah, I do not. I like real, I love real conversations. (laughs) So, so yeah. um, You know, I think it's a conversation we've had at the board level is does the company move? Now I'm here and the scientists are here. 
Um, but it's not impossible. And a fair number of companies do move. But what you start to see is a split address, right? That you have a Calgary address and a Boston address. And you kind of leave it to people's imagination to try to understand who's where. And you just hope that it's suitably vague enough that nobody, you know, the people in the States say, oh, it's Boston. And people in Canada say, oh, it's Calgary. And, you know, everybody's happy. Um, but I could see where the Boston would probably carry a bit more weight with these types of audiences you're yeah. talking about. Mm-hmm. Well, it is a question, uh, you know, as investors uh, assess us, of course, they assess the technology, they assess mm-hmm. the team, and they assess our ability to move forward, right? Yeah. And so, and Calgary is off the radar. Uh, I mean, there's no question about it. That's not, um, you know, being harsh, it's just being truthful. And so you know, the question is, well, can you get this work done? How are you going to get this work done? Do you have access to a Beacore machine? Do you have this? Do you have that? And it's kind yeah. of like, well, um, no, but I, I, I can do it here and I can do it there, right? Um, you don't get necessarily those questions where you're in a major biotech hub. Well, and you've got, and you talking about who you're talking to, the, the sophisticated investors, or sorry, I don't even say sophisticated, they're experienced, they're knowledgeable. Mm-hmm. They're going to know also to ask those questions. You know, that someone who's getting into the sector and, exp- and experimenting in the sector is not going to know what you may or might not have access to. And ca- like back to that, talking to somebody who's already educated, because if half your pitch is educating them on even how your industry works, that's a tough, it's a harder lift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, so, yeah, no, it's ahead. interesting. I was thinking about, you talked about the different, you know, I like kind of, and I'm going to dumb it down just for the, you know, drugs, devices, diagnostics, digital health, R&D. When you see Calgary and you see our way forward, do you see, like, do we need to just stay broad or is there an area where you see we could actually get more traction? Like thinking in stages, eventually it might be the whole group, but mm-hmm. as we think about the next 10 years, is it a, this one is really getting some, this area I see is more opportunity here just from companies or success. Like, does it work that way or am I trying to segment it not correctly? Yeah, no, I think there, you know, it, it's critical mass, right? So um, yeah. there's two ways to do it. Do we kind of have a broad platform and we rise together all of our sectors or do we go deep and try to get some strength? So, you know, I was talking to Rob Stoddard at um, Bio Alberta recently, and he was telling me that there's a difference between Edmonton and Calgary. So Edmonton mm, okay. is 60% small molecule therapeutics, 40% d- devices diagnos- diagnostics, versus Calgary is 60% diagnostics health tech, 40% therapeutics. And he says, and you know, the interest in the, you know, the, the angels and, and how people are starting to think about their local ecosystem is different when he's in Edmonton versus when he's in Calgary. Um, and so I think that there, that might, and it, maybe it makes sense because Calgary has a strong tech, um, you know, tech as well as oil and gas tech background. And so maybe going in the health tech space um, and also going to more the di- di- um, devices and diagnostics makes sense because those have somewhat similar exits to what they would be used to seeing, right? Um, okay. Especially yeah. on like a health tech type of a platform, you would understand that, you know, this doesn't seem to be resonating. You're not getting eyeballs on the screen. We need to pivot in this direction. Like those types of conversations would be more familial versus the small molecule therapeutic, which is slightly, it's a different beast. You know, how's the drug looking in the animal models? Um, what med- medicinal chemistry do we need to do to optimize it? Where are you at in your medicinal chemistry campaign? Those are vastly different questions than, you know, how's the product coming? Um, are we going to get approval? How many people do you think are going to use it? That's so interesting. And any drivers beyond that, except just that some companies, like, is it just a, a product of who got traction and where, and it's kind of evolved that way? Like, I'm just thinking of like, was there anything that paved that way for it to be one more than the other? Except you said, we might just be more, there might be easier to understand because it's closer to what we think. I just find it so interesting that it comes up often how different the Calgary Edmonton conversation is and story is. And it's yeah. just three hours up, three hours up the road. <laughs> it's fascinating to me, even at the university level, you know, we get the same budget cuts from the unit, from the government and U of A and U of C's responses are vastly different. Um, and so, yeah, the cultures are different between the two towns. And I'm an outsider, I guess I should say. I'm not from Calgary. Um, you know, I came for the university. Um, and so I, I didn't grow up with some sort of Oilers are the best or Oilers flames are the best. Right? I'm, I'm I, also, I also moved here from somewhere else, but yeah, I, yeah. I hear you. <laughs> um, so I don't really have a dog in the fight, although I've become a local gal. I mean, I believe in Calgary. I think it has a lot of strengths. Um, but... Yeah, I think that I think that the the sectors are different um, because of the strength. Um, I think it. Sorry, I think it comes down to the investor pool and what they're comfortable investing in. And I think there's just okay. a little bit more therapeutic investors 
in, in Edmonton, and I think there's more device folks down here, or di- diagnostics, health, health tech. You know, okay, just a, a simple note, back to follow, follow the money. When it yeah. comes to educating that group of investors, it's, you're, you know, as, a, as running a, a biotech startup of any type, your plate is pretty full. I guess when I think about how do we educate and how do we get our investors better prepared, is that a job for an association? Is that a job, you know, I don't think it's a job for government, but who, who's there to help get our investors more educated so it isn't left or, or is it just going to be left to the startup CEOs and leaders and people like yourself out there that you got to spend the first 15 minutes just getting them even up to speed or 15 minutes, maybe maybe a couple hours before you even get, like you said, get to show the 10 slack, the 10, the 10 deck slide deck. Mm-hmm. Whose job? Yeah. Who, whose job is it? And how do we get better at it? I guess I'll round the question yeah. down to more pointed. I think that it, it, the responsibility falls on both parties. So I think myself as the entrepreneur it, the responsibility is on me to understand my market. And I think I made a lot of early mistakes by not understanding my market. And again, because it's kind of this tribal community and everybody talks, bad discussions I had in 2018 are biting me in the butt now in 2020. Uh, they, right? they, they, don't, they, they, they don't die just because you left the room. No, that's yeah, interesting. exactly. I really like your tribal approach because I've really pitched that as, you know, Calgary, one of our superpowers is our ability to and willingness to help each other and to entertain conversations. Mm-hmm. But I like when you reframe it and go, there's always a positive, every positive has a, has a downside. So mm-hmm. I appreciate when you talk about it that way of where it can actually create a cycle of, of, of not what we want because it is such a tight tribe. And, oh yeah, I yeah. talked to so-and-so. So yeah, I don't, I don't need to hear from you. I've already got it. That's yeah. a, that's dangerous. That's well, what is it when you assume you make an asset? Anyway, there's <laughs> yes. lots of, well, yeah, there's lots of acronyms. So yeah, the response, the responsibility of everyone to do that. You touched on it earlier. Where, where does, uh, where does our friendly neighborhood government fall into all this mix? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, uh, so, okay. Something I think is interesting about Alberta. So bio Alberta again, did a survey. They do a survey every year, I guess. And I, I'm a member, so I got their pamphlet. And as a good little mm-hmm. member, I read their pamphlet. Well, <laughs> I flipped through their pamphlet. Um, and as a scientist, I paused on the graphs. And so there was a graph that struck my um, attention. And it was basically, where did you get funding for the, over the last year? And there was a big, enormous bar graph for government. And then there was a little itty-bitty graph for angels and a little itty-bitty graph for VCs. So the numbers, I mean, for um, VCs um, and institution. Okay. So the numbers are 24% of Alberta biotechs are funded by government-backed programs. This really surprised me, and I'll revisit that in a second. 23% were funded by angels. So there is an angel community that is helping to come into that gap. So I don't want to say it doesn't exist. There is certainly okay. an angel community that's, that, that is present. 3% were funded by VCs. It was this number that surprised me, that 24% in 2019 of biotech companies in Calgary, in, in Alberta, were funded by government-backed programs, and 3% were funded by VCs. I think that this is out of sync with a thriving biotech community because the government-backed programs, they don't really get you on a path to independence. They're not a springboard. They're not launching you. So the government-backed programs are shred credits and IRAP. And so this is, Mm -hmm. you know, the ability to show that you're doing research and so you get some money back. But it, it's actually kind of stifling in a way. It's not as good and as flexible as VC cash. VC cash, I can be nimble. I can take my biotech and I can say, where do I need to go? Where, where, how can I best move my program forward? The shred credits keeps me, how can I best, what experiment should I do or how should I start to spend my money to make sure it qualifies for shred? And so just as a, a practical example, Right now, I need to start doing some preclinical testing in the animal model. I have a drug. I need to put it into some animals. I need to see at what dose is it toxic and, and whatnot. This is very standard preclinical test. There's, I don't know, hundreds of com- companies around the world that do these types of tests. I send them my drug. They run it through the test. They send me the data. Mm-hmm. I'm having a debate in my head because I can do it through a, co- a company in Toronto, and they're going to charge me you know, $7,000 an animal. And, um, but I can get 30% back in shred credits. So, okay, so that's going to be like maybe 5K by the time I get some shred credits back. Or I can send it overseas and do it a fraction of that. Well, but it, would it be nice to get the shred credits? So, you know, you're starting to kind of start to make decisions uh, yeah. based on these government-backed programs. And you're fitting your research because we get addicted to these credits. And we start to think, oh, but they're so, I need to maximize my shreds. And it's so I think that it's not a a, a healthy ecosystem to really, um, you know, I I saw a quote recently that I really liked, and it was um, pulling incredible companies into existence. Right. I don't think these government backed programs 
pull our best and brightest companies into existence. I think it gives us a little bit of a safety net and some money back to make us feel like we're doing okay. But it's not, these shred credits are doing very little actually to get me into VC money. And it's that VC money that then pulls me into existence. And so I think that these government programs should be asking themselves a little differently. How can we pull companies into existence earlier so that more, I mean, 3%, 3% of Alberta companies got VC funds. Like, that's a really, really low number. And, you know, Alberta Innovates is a huge backer of these types of programs. And they've done a great job. And, and the micro, the voucher programs and the micro vouchers, and they've got scientist programs. They just started a new program where they've got this wheel and they can bring you, bring you in at the um, concept. And then you have to validate and you move to market. And so it kind of brings you through this, this pipeline. And at the end, it spits you out as a as a bona fide company ready to fly on your own. And, you know, I think that this is a really good intention program, but let me explain. So the concept program has set a priority of precision health. So that is, you know, genetic diseases or some sort of, um, you know, stratifying cancer patients or some, some sort of precision medicine idea. And they've recognized this as a, something they want to invest in in Alberta. So if you have a biotech company around precision health, and it's an early stage company come in at our concept stage and we're going to give you some money to help commercialize your academic research into perhaps a company. Great idea. No problem there. I called them up and said, I've got a precision health company. I'd like to apply. We talk a little bit and they say, no, actually you're too far along. You don't qualify for our concept stage, but you should move to the validate stage. Okay, that's fine. So they put me in touch with the folks that run the validate stage and we we're talking and they said, yeah, you're an excellent fit for our validate stage based on where you are. So tell me about your company. I talk about my company and you know, I'm a precision health company. And they say, oh, the validate stage is focused on digital health. So we're only backing digital health. And I said, how does this make any sense? So you bring me in at the concept stage and then you kick me out at the validate stage. And, you know, like the program needs to send me all the way through your flywheel. So my flywheel is going at the end. So, again, I think this is a little bit where the left hand's not talking to the right hand. And, and I've given them you know, my feedback, I don't know that they care, but, um, you know, this, this idea of, I think you play a critical role in Alberta of the money filling this gap between where grants end and even angels are willing to come in. This, these types of Alberta Innovate programs are essential, um, and, but they need to hum so people can move through those different stages quickly, get to the angels, get to the VCs on a more rapid timeline. We're way too slow. We move too slow. The due diligence is slow. The, gee, should we fund it or should we not? Should we, um, you know, invest? Should we not? It moves too slow. And I do think that's something the states has going for it. You know, they, they make more rapid decisions um, and they don't sit around. I mean, if you were to pick apart my company and due diligence, oh, there's a hundred reasons not to invest. Uh, I mean, the more you poke around, like, I mean, oh my goodness. And I think this is it, like, there's almost too much thought. It's like too cerebral. Um, it needs and is to be it, a is it just fear? Bad. Is it just fear of getting it? Because I've heard that we're in the U.S. You're in certain environments, and they're like, "Fund, let's go. Like, let's like let's give fifty people fifty grand and see what happens." Versus like, "No, no, we have to get one right and make it perfect." Is it just fear of making the wrong decision and wanting to look like we're not stewarding this funding properly? And like, again, so much drives from fear, right? Yeah. And I've heard in the U.S. there is a little bit more of like an entrepreneurial. Like, I had someone tell me the other day, and they're like, "Hey, let's be honest." Canada's not pro-business. And he's like, it's hard to say that, but when you work in the US, he goes, I feel there's a pro-business mindset that we don't often have in Canada, which slows us down. And it was good. I had to digest it a little bit. I was like, oh, that kind of feels uncomfortable, but mm -hmm. that's why we should probably talk about it. So what, what I'm hearing from you, that's, we got this great program, but is it really pro-business or is it pro this structure that they put in that's so restrictive, it doesn't allow for all the variables and it's always going to be messy. You're in that phase. It should yeah. be, it shouldn't, it's not going to be perfect, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it comes back a little bit to that societal knowledge right and being comfortable um i think that you know um i, I find canadian investors are are a little bit more prone to ask the question of am i going to win here is this going to be a win and you know and i think obviously i don't want to lose anybody's money and i don't want you know they don't want to lose their money so i think that that's a valid question to ask i just think it's a little bit out of proportion with you know what is the potential um how can this grow what are we going to do um how can we um, rely a little bit more on our gut maybe um, and, mm -hmm. and push this program. And again, it comes to that idea. How can we pull incredible companies into existence? Um, what is the threshold we needed to, to assess to decide that this is going to be an incredible company? And I, I don't think that 
in the biotech space, there's enough of that institutional knowledge yet um, to, to have that, that gut be established. Um, and is the answer to this just time? Like, is, is there any way we can short circuit or kind of wave the magic wand, if you will? Or do we just have to go through our learning? Yeah. So, you know, you asked the question of how to, like, where does the responsibility lie? And I, I started with it definitely lies with the, the entrepreneur. But the second half of that question, I think, is it also uh, um, lies with our investor market. And I think that our investors need to be open to the idea that they don't necessarily know um, and they need to be open to um, being uh, learning, I think. I, I think if I were to characterize, there, there's, it seems that sometimes I feel that I'm, I'm told, yeah, 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 I know. I know about your sector. I know about this. And it's like, well, you don't, though, because you just asked me for my revenue slide. So I know you don't. So why? But but you need to be open. Like, I don't mind educating. Like, I can. I'm happy to educate, especially if there's money on the table. Man, I'll educate till the cows come home. But you have to be open <laughs> to me educating yeah. you. And so I do think it's a two. I need to understand my market. So know how to walk in and, and handle a room. But I think that they also need to become open to the idea that I might not be the expert here. I might not be, um, I've started five companies. I know everything about entrepreneurship. Um, yes, you know, a lot of things that I don't know, and I am more than happy to learn from you, but I also know a little bit more about biotech than you do. And so you, I would like you to also be open to learning from me. And I think that will help get us through this phase a little bit faster. And I'm finding that there's a little bit more resistance on that idea. There's a little bit more like, yeah, yeah, I know everything. Sounds like you need, we need a little more humility at the table. <laughs> yeah, I think in the biotech space we do. And it, we, it will require, I think, also some of these funds. Again, like Thin Air Labs is working very hard to put together a large fund. It might have closed it. I'm not sure where they're at. Um, but, you know, they have a tech focus and, a, and other focuses. But one is biotech. And so, you know, as they start to invest more, they bring in their buddies to invest more. I think that education will, will, will come. We've got we've got this the we've got the the universities with like so many formulas I've read about comp- cities that have turned around. You can track it all the way back to a university or, a, or or a school system that's putting out the talent, and then you've got certain groups that lead it. And I've and it was really interesting to have you interested to have you on the show because again I've heard little snippets and the word biotech gets floated it gets floated around pretty loosely. So today you gave me a lot more parameters. So when you think of the future and you think ten years from now, there's no question from what I'm hearing that you see biotech playing a part in this quote unquote new Calgary and this journey that we're on. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, the Eyes High campaign started with Elizabeth Cannon at the University of Calgary, I think, I don't know, 2016, 2014. I'm not okay. sure when it started. But one of their slogans was um, to transform you Calgary into Canada's most entrepreneurial university in the country's most enterprising city. So I don't know if you've heard that. We hear it over and over and over um, within I, the I university. Love it. I, I, yeah. I've never, no, I have not. And I, I love everything about that. It's part of what I, I moved here from back East. I grew up in Montreal and great town and lots of awesomeness. Moved here and I was like, whoa, the, the entrepreneurial, the energy, the like, hey, yeah. if you've got value, I got value, let's do something together. Calgary does have something there and to actually turn it into and capitalize on it versus just taking it for granted. I, th- I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it, it became a mantra around the Eyes High campaign. There's of course other pillars and strategies, but but that was kind of a central core. And Ed McCauley, who was the v- vice president of research at the time, championed it. Now he's our president. And so he is really championing this idea of entrepreneurship coming out of the University of Calgary. And, you know, he's working closely with Innovate Calgary, which is our, you know, tech transfer hub and, and all the different programs. And so I think that there's a real movement on the entrepreneurial side coming out of the university. It started back, I think, with this early eyes high campaign and, and okay. making it most Canada's most entrepreneurial university. I mean, that's not a common sentence. Universities aren't usually entrepreneurial. No, right? it's not. Ac- academia um, and entrepreneurial, is th- they don't usually hang out together. Yeah, and especially I think Canada too, commercialization is still kind of a, a bad word in the academic circles. In the U.S., I think they've embraced it a little bit more. Like, I've got an idea I want to commercialize. Versus in Canada, it's it's almost like against our oath of um, you know servants or research public servants or, or researchers that we're here just to discover, not to make money. Money is bad; it makes us greedy. Um, and so I think that even changing that culture um, has been um, pivotal. And I I mean everybody I know is starting a company. Um, I mean I'm exaggerating, but like lots and lots of professors are catching this entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and it's like, well, I don't know. I've never thought about this before. And 
you know, some of my friends and colleagues are having a lot of fun with their individual companies that they're starting. And, um, you know, I, I think that the university is going to, you know, find themselves that they've created a monster here, right? There's going to be all these companies that need money and infrastructure and resources. And they're going to be like, Oh my goodness, we didn't think you guys would embrace it so much. Um, <laughs> That's that, that sounds like I love success problems. Yes. It's funny. Exactly. I, I had, uh, I had Jim get Jim Gibson on from thinner labs. He was oh, my yeah. first guest on the, on the show. And I just had Jim on recently with talking about his new role as the, you know, chief catalyst. And you know, when he first came on the show, he talked a lot about the, the rainforest mindset mm-hmm. of like how it shifts and that belief around what you just talked about of like everybody creating startups and how fundamentally to create a new ecosystem, not to use that word, but uh, that whole rainforest concept of changing our minds at an individual level. And hearing you talk about that at the university, that excites me. And mm-hmm. I don't think of the university that way. So you've already given me a little bit of a new filter. That's mm-hmm. that, that's an awesome problem to have is that our professors are so excited about being entrepreneurs that they're taking all this amazing research and turning it into something bigger and better that just creates more funding for everyone. Like to me, that's yeah. a bit back to the flywheel concept. <laughs> well, and also too, you have to understand the way universities work. You know, we have the professor who runs the lab, and then we have, you know, postdoc, it's a training environment, right? So we have postdoctoral fellows who have completed their PhD. We have PhD and master's students. We have undergraduates that are getting research experience so they can kind of feed forward into the chain. And what's amazing is that as professors start to think about how they can commercialize on their different ideas, they have all of this staff, um, a talent in their, in their labs they can take and run with it. So if the professor themselves doesn't want to become CEO, you have a postdoc. And so what's happening with a lot of these companies that are being founded is that the postdoc is commercializing. So they're becoming the CEO and it gives them an exit. You know, um, job Mm -hmm. security is very concerning to a lot of our postdocs and graduate students. Like I've got this stupid biology degree. Where am I going to go get a job? How how do I parlay this into what am I going to be? What what am I going to do when I grow up? Yeah. Yeah. What's my mom going to put in the Christmas letter that I'm not, you know, kind of living in my car working at Starbucks. And so, uh, and this becomes, you know, more stressful when they now have a PhD or, or heaven forbid, a postdoc on top of it. And they're still wondering if they're going to have to go work at Starbucks. So it also helps solve a a real problem we have. We've trained all this amazing talent. And so now they can go be CEOs and CMOs and like, you know, whatever, CXO, whatever, um, on these companies. And so I think the university is churning out a lot of companies because we have these different, you know, postdocs and graduate students and undergrads who are embracing it. That's such an interesting filter with like, okay, I've got my biology. What do I, what do I do with it now? Mm-hmm. But if there's an avenue where, you know, that entrepreneur entrepreneurship as a path is celebrated, supported, and there's a system, an ecosystem around to, or a support structure, that's a really interesting way to parlay that the PhD student working at Starbucks, mm-hmm. which is the old joke in the Christmas letter. Good. That's a, yeah. <laughs> I feel you've either read or written a Christmas letter like that somewhere <laughs> along the way. <laughs> I did stop though, just for the record. I decided yes. <laughs> I, I can't do this. <laughs> I, I appreciate. Um, Deborah, thank you so much for everything today. It was incredibly informative. You've opened my eyes to a whole new world, which is exactly what I was hoping this podcast was going to be about. So I hope the audience enjoys it because selfishly, I certainly did. Um, what's the best way for people to reach out, get a hold of you? Either they want to see your deck and like, don't, yeah. don't waste your time. Like, please let her show you the whole deck. Please, for God's sake, for, for, for the first. love of God. Yeah. <laughs> let me go from one God. to 20. I swear it won't be a complete waste of your time. Or it might be, but just let me. <laughs> I'll brag about but you'll, how you but I, my but I, I have a feeling you'll learn something along along, along yeah. the way. What is the best way for people to get a hold of you? Um, I guess email probably. Um, so, you know, on the academic side, you can Google me. I come up on the Uni- University of Calgary website and you can use my academic email. And you, if you Google path therapeutics, there's an info at pathbio.com um, email on there that comes to me as well. Um, yep. So, yeah, those are fine ways. Yep. We live in an easy. We live in such an easy world. If you want to get a hold of someone, a few a few keystrokes, and you're going to get a hold of them. Yeah, you can awesome find my five k running scores. You know, you can find whatever you want on the internet now, right? Well, <laughs> go check how you're doing on Strava and see where where you compare. Yeah, not good. I'll just I'll save you the suspense. <laughs> Deborah, thank you so much for the work you're doing and yeah. uh, really for the share today. I really appreciate the candor and I am yeah. uh, significantly more aware of what's going on in this sector than I was before, which is, was the goal of the show. So thank you. Well, I really appreciate you inviting me and I appreciate you doing these podcasts. It's really good for Calgarians to, to hear about all the great work that's going on. It really is an enterprising city. So I think that biotech should be able to build on top of it as well. I t- I, yes, we need, we need all the, we need all the horses and all of the races yeah. to, to get us out of this kind of current situation, which I believe we, we will for sure. Yeah. Thanks so much. Have an awesome day. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. Take care.